scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing to Yell, a shot. Save made by Al Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! Now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All right, happy Monday. We're underway. It's April 3rd. March is done. Tower of Flames talk underway from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Vix. What's going on, Patrick? Oh, you know, and we've got a lot to dive into from a wild weekend from the Calgary Flames. And most importantly, as we get this hour underway, I've got to ask, five games to go, nine days to go. How are we feeling about this playoff push? On the text line, if you're listening live, how are we feeling about Calgary's final five and their quest to overtake the Jets? They need to make up three points on Winnipeg to get there and pass them. Are they going to get in? Are they going to fall short? Get your text in at 969.60. I was doing my prep across the street, drinking my delicious green tea, and uh, I must have been asked four or five times just while sitting there from people people that, uh, you know, I, I see on a regular basis working over there. And just like, how, how are they going to do it? Like, what do you, how do you feel? Are they going to get in? Are they, uh, they going to make this happen? What's your gut say? How are you feeling? And I'm optimistic. I, I think they've got a real shot at this, man. I, I, I really do. Um, and so what I said is, yeah, my gut says that they've got a shot. And I think that... As much as the the different sites have them, you know, hovering around thirty percent on the projections, which I'm sure Vickers knows off by heart, um, I kind of think they're. I don't want to say quite fifty fifty, but they've got more than a negligible negligible shot to get in here. I'm optimistic. I'm I'm feeling good. They can do this thing because I like the way they're playing. I like the way, and it's not just the fact that they're they're winning games, but it's kind of the way. They're winning games. I like their resilience. I like their resolve. I like their swagger. I didn't even like love their 60 minutes against Anaheim on Sunday. I really didn't. But I love the fact that they didn't let some adversity uh, end up derailing them. I love that they went into that third period down a goal and were even more dominant in the third period against Anaheim than they were against Vancouver on Friday. They've chosen a good time to put together their longest winning streak of the season. They've chosen a good time to put together their first two comeback wins when trailing after 40 minutes of play. So yeah, I I, I like what they're saying. I like the way they're holding themselves. It feels like for the first time they're galvanized. And yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling optimistic about the final five games. I can't I can't control nor um, truly predict what's going to happen, but definitely I'm feeling good. Well, it's 50-50. They either do or they don't, right? That's just right down to the bottom of it, 50%? No. Friends at Money Puck, 29.6. Thanks for uh, ratting me out right off the hop there. I did have it open. I haven't checked Hockey Reference. haven't checked The Athletic. Going to our friends, our optimistic friends at Money Puck. I'm somewhere between pessimistic and cautiously optimistic, and I have no idea what adjective fits between those two, but that's kind of what I'm going with. 
you mentioned they picked a good time to start doing things for the first time, whether it be first four game win streak, first and second come from behind victories when trailing heading into the third period. To me, though, that's not necessarily the way you want to go about it. You'll certainly take it and you'll take the two points. You'll take the result. I just wonder if this is what it's going to be like the final five games of the regular season as you try to track down the Winnipeg Jets. I don't know how sustainable winning like that happens to be. That was, you may be surprised. That was Anaheim's first regulation loss when leading after two periods on the season. Now, granted, it was the only 10th time. Yeah, you see, you got excited there for a second. No, no, I it was knew. only the 10th. I knew. It was I only knew. the 10th time that they've led going into the third period this season. First regulation loss. So when you start looking at this flame schedule, whether it be Winnipeg or I know they just did it to Vancouver, but Vancouver, Nashville, maybe, maybe best to try and lead heading into the third, as opposed to trying to put together back-to-back rallies and it's worked. So you can't argue it. I just don't think it's necessarily sustainable. And that's why I'm somewhere between pessimistic and cautiously optimistic that they can make up the three points because they're two behind Winnipeg, but Winnipeg yes. holds the first and second tiebreaker. So they need three. They can't tie Winnipeg. They have to surpass Winnipeg. Most likely anyway. I would think so. Well, I can't imagine the scenario where Calgary can overtake them in terms of even points. Like one more win from Winnipeg, I think locks it up yes. for them. So yes. one I more get, regulation win. For correct. Winnipeg. Yeah, correct. So that's why I'm pessimistic slash cautiously optimistic that the Calgary Flames can get this done. I, I would say that I am between cautiously optimistic and quite optimistic. I'm feeling Ooh. I'm feeling better than I have Saucy. at any point over the last number of weeks. And and it's because, look, I am completely with you that trailing 4-3 to Vancouver and trailing 4-3 to Anaheim with only a third of a game left is not your... Um, that's, that's not your most sustainable way of winning hockey games. And to put yourself in that situation in any one of the next two games, that's, that's probably not ideal. In fact, I know that's not ideal. Because you know what? If you do it against Chicago... They're also not a very good team. If you do it against the Blackhawks, maybe you don't come back and and win that game. Maybe you don't erase it because NHL teams still know how to win hockey games and NHL teams still find ways even if there are 30 points behind the between them rather in the standings. And well, I never, you know, I, I guess what I liked about the third periods of Vancouver and Anaheim are the fact that I never really felt like the leads were safe, and I never really felt like the Flames weren't going to tie. And so, especially against Anaheim, it just felt like a foregone conclusion they were going to tie because that was so one-sided. Vancouver was one-sided, and the sides, it was just a flat line in the third period against Anaheim. Like There there were not two teams on the ice. I think the final shot attempts were like 33-4 in favor of the Flames. They had an 8-0 high danger advantage. The only time Anaheim sniffed anything dangerous was like with a second left uh, when they had the net empty. That play to the left. The play to the left, yeah. Yeah. It was was a real... and, And so... You don't want to see what you saw in the first period against either team, really. And you don't want to see them be loose. And you don't want to see them be as as poor defensively and away from the puck as they were for periods in both of those games. But I think that finding ways to win still builds momentum and still builds belief and I think still helps you gain the type of 
I don't know. Yeah, I think belief's the best word, but still, you, you gain the the type of role that you need if you're going to be able to pull this thing off. So that's why I'm feeling optimistic. It's still an uphill climb, and they still have to non-negotiably beat the Jets on Wednesday. That 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 is the number one thing that has to happen, and probably has to happen in regulation because. After Wednesday, regardless of result, the Jets will still be the team in the driver's seat just based on the fact that they'll have the one game in hand, and they'll still be the team, regardless of what happens, that controls most of their destiny. But you got to beat the Jets. And I think if you can take, what, they got five games left? If you can take seven points and one or two of those seven points come against the Jets, I think you give yourself a chance. You can take nine points. Uh, I think that you probably get yourself in and I'm feeling better than I ever have. The flames might be able to do that with the way they're playing. Well, even Milan Lucic offered last night that he still feels that, and maybe he was not tongue in cheeks, not the right word, but maybe he was just looking at it from, you know, if he's basically said post game, we need to win the rest of the rest of the season. We need to re- win the remaining five games. And it's not quite that dire a situation, but I understand the mentality when you're trying to chase down a team that's effectively got three points on you. I think I'm somewhere between pessimistic and cautiously optimistic because over the course of the past two games, we've seen some Jekyll and Hyde out of the Calgary Flames. And you mentioned the first period against the Anaheim Ducks and then that third period, which was absolutely dominating. So I'm not certain from period to period necessarily what the Calgary Flames are going to roll out in terms of the reaction, in terms of the, I don't want to say effort because there's no shortage of effort, but perhaps execution is the better word there. I'm just curious to see what we see over the next, what, 15 periods before we determine whether or not this Flames team is bound for the playoffs or not. Text line, let's jump in. I just, I do like the fact that they feel like they're galvanized for the first time. And, And I think that we have been wondering if this moment or that moment or this period or that goal or that win or this controversy would be the thing that would bring them together or springboard them or get them on the track that they need to be on all season long. And into the 70s, it feels like maybe they've finally done that. And it might be too late. I grant you that. I fully am aware that it might be too late, but I'm feeling more optimistic about it than at any point this season. And certainly any point since their playoff fate has truly been in doubt, which it feels like it's been for the last couple of months. And so it's, it's been a couple of months since I felt as optimistic about where Calgary could end up even though I, I realize that Winnipeg's playing much better. They've, what, outscored their last two opponents 12-3. to three. The Jets feel like they've galvanized themselves, what Rick Bonus had to say, and, and the criticism that has been facing them. Returning back home seems to have really got the Jets on a better track. But, yeah, I, I think the Flames have got a shot at this, and I think that they've got uh, a real opportunity to play 82 meaningful games this year. Well, and it's the resiliency that they've shown when they haven't played very well coming out of the gate or falling behind. There were a couple times against Anaheim and a couple times against Vancouver where you see a goal beat either Markstrom or Vladar or Markstrom and Vladar, and you go, ooh, that's the one that's going to sink them today. And yet it hasn't. Yeah. So I can understand you're optimistic to relatively optimistic, hopeful, whichever. I'm missing an adjective you used, but I understand. Quite optimistic. Quite yeah. Quite optimistic. Somewhere in between there and cautious. I can see why. Read a few texts and react to them at 960-960 or a lot of texts 
at 960-960. Um, if the Flames are tied with the Jets with two minutes to go, do they pull the goalie on Wednesday? No. No. That's only when your season is truly on the line. If that was the that. final game of the season and you needed to and keep them Or to... if you were facing elimination with yes. a loss. Yes. But they won't be. So, no. Uh, this from Walshie in Strathvegas, who is... Uh, admittedly been very Eeyore-ish during this whole conversation. So while she's... Him and I will get along great. While she uh, has... Uh, yeah, while she and Vickers are, are both uh, Eeyore. Um, but not donkeys. So there's... Ah. Um, this says, great work being done to ensure one of the best ninth place finishes in Flames history. That's from Walshy and Strathmore. Oh, I might be a little bit more optimistic than him then. Uh, this from Dave. They're showing the pushback we've wanted to see all season, but so are the Jets and the Preds. Sadly, it's going to be too late. Uh, this reads, the lack of urgency is still concerning. If Sutter says the young guys supplied the energy against the Ducks, he'd better, better put Pelche in against Chicago. Uh, this reads, Pat, Pat, Pat. This is from Stafford and Bonas. Pat, Pat, Pat. Let's put this last game in perspective. They were playing the bottom three team in the league who weren't playing their third game in four nights and played the Oilers the night before in who were playing their third game in four nights rather and played the Oilers the night before. Um, a playoff contender would never have put themselves in a position they would have had to come back in the third. Uh, this says Flames are going to go five and zero. Jets are going to go three one and one. The Flames will sneak in. Tampa Flames final. Daryl wow. takes care of his hashtag unfinished business. He's quite optimistic as well. I believe that is beyond quite optimistic. Uh, this says, let's not forget about Seattle. They're only three back and they haven't played well recently. And this says, can't the Flames kick out Seattle? I, I do want to, a couple of people have, have messaged me about this as well. Go take, first of all, Seattle's got two less games played than everybody yes. else. Also, go take a look at Seattle's remaining schedule. Their next five, Arizona, Vancouver, Arizona, Chicago, Arizona. They've got three of their next five against the Coyotes. I just, I do think Seattle's in, and I, I and, and maybe I'll be wrong about this, but because they've got the two fewer games played, because their points percentage has been where they are, I think the Kraken are in. I think they'll be the number one wild card. I don't look at them as a catchable team right now. And maybe I'm wrong, but the Flames, I, I think, are focused on Winnipeg or should be focused, or we should be focused on Winnipeg and Winnipeg only. I don't buy the fact that Seattle's going to fall out of this, and I'll gladly eat my words, and we can play this tape back if it happens in nine or ten days' time. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, Seattle is quasi uncatchable for Calgary. Calgary's played 77 games. Seattle's played 75. So they've got two more games left and they're basically up for, it's the same situation as Calgary faces with Winnipeg, where the likelihood is Seattle's going to have the first tiebreaker. They certainly have the second tiebreaker. So yeah, they're three behind, but they're really four behind in order to catch Seattle again with the games at hand. And you ran through the schedule. It'd be, it'd be a, uh, it'd be a collapse an utter collapse yeah of epic proportions if Seattle does not lock down at least one of those wild card spots. Uh, this says losing the tiebreaker is what's going to do the Flames in. They don't have enough runway to make up the required three points. They'll just miss out amidst playing well down the stretch, which will ultimately be frustrating from a fan perspective. This says uh, 25%. It will all come down to Wednesday when the Flames will be on back-to-back -back with travel against a team who's shown that when they're interested, they can beat anybody. Uh, on Wednesday, Winnipeg will be interested. Realize the Flames can win Tuesday and Wednesday and still lose out to Winnipeg. Yes, beating the Jets on Wednesday does not punch Calgary's ticket. It will put them in a better spot, but won't punch their ticket. I, I agree completely. Prab says, I've been on the fence basically the entire season. The next two games will decide which side I'll be on. Hopefully they can pull it off. 
Noah, the Flames barely, barely beat a team that's in the Bedard sweepstakes, and people still think there's hope. LMAO with lots of O's. This, Pat, could you let Vickers know the Flames have won three in a row for the first time since December? That's it's actually style. four in a row for the first time all season. Thank you. Uh, Bill says, Jets are playing well. We could see the Kraken implode that comes from Bill. Again, you're hoping for a collapse of epic proportions from Seattle if you're really going to put them into the conversation. Uh, this says, uh, from Wedley, they'll get in. I started Don't Dream It's Over six points out. Just win Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, this from Dustin. I'm feeling so good. I just secured my seats for the Nashville game. That's game 81. Uh, so there you go. That is uh, a little bit on the text line. Kind of all over the place. But I would say uh, 960, 960, uh, it skews more pessimistic. Is that uh, is that yeah. what, what... And I, I didn't skip any positive text. I, I read everything in there. Now more will come in. But uh, I, the, the first batch that we just got to skewed a little pessimistic, I would suggest. You hear that, Optimistic Flames fans? You need to hammer that text line to balance this back out because the poll is swaying that they're going to miss. Now... Double check my math here. So if the Winnipeg Jets go 500 points percentage from here on out, that's going to be five of a possible 10 points. That's going to be 94 points, Yep. which means the Calgary Flames need to get to 95, which would be eight more points than they have. So they'd have to go 4-1. Four four one. One. Yep. That checked out. Yep. I was trying to do it on the fly. You might've saw some smoke eyes glazed over a little bit, but so Winnipeg's um, magic number. Magic number is technically nine, but really eight or four games. So, any combination of points lost by Calgary, points gained by Winnipeg will do it. Um, and so, yes, if Calgary goes four and one, then Winnipeg going two two and one would still get it done for them. It's not great math. It's it, it like, hasn't it's, been it hasn't been great math for months. But the fact that the Flames are here and it's going to go down to game eighty one or game eighty two or maybe beyond next Wednesday for Calgary and they're still like again, don't forget that Calgary finishes their season Wednesday the twelfth, which is nine days from when we're talking right now against San Jose, and the following night the Jets play and the following two nights the Preds play. So the Jets have one more game after Calgary season is done, and the Preds have two more games after Calgary season is done. So you know we we might be watching the the classic sports movie trope where the team's watching in the locker room and the, like, we, we might be talking about that type of situation as well. Who knows? I mean, it'll be very, if anything, you can take solace in at least this is still a conversation because there were times throughout the course of the year where you're like, this is not, this is going to be a death March to the end of the regular season. It'll be a locker cleanout day. And then it's going to be a long summer for the Calgary flames. The fact that we're talking about this lasting beyond their last game of the regular season and that old sports movie trope about them all rallied in the locker room with the yeah. monitor watching whichever game happens to be last and they come in the back door and make the playoffs and then have a first round date with the number one seed in the Western Conference, so be it. And that could very well be the case. More text a little bit later on here. Um, just a few other things to get to. Great weekend for Troy Stetcher. I really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, look, the one thing I'll say about Stetcher is that he is never going to cheat you. There is not a shift where he doesn't compete at a 10. He doesn't battle at a 10. He gives you everything he's got. And and there are limits to what he's got. He has some really real strong strengths in his game. Number one, he's skating. 
And he used it a lot this weekend. The goal he scores against Vancouver, a big one, although it lasted for what? The the, the tie game <laughs> lasted long. for 14 seconds. But still, nice finish on Stetcher's game-tying goal. Um, even though he didn't get any points in that first period, had two really nice moments. He was the best member of the Calgary Flames in, in the that first, first period. Agreed. Yeah. agreed. That was part of the reason why I named him the number two star following the, the game on Sunday. Um, and he ends up picking up an assist on the Nick Ritchie game or go ahead goal in the second period on the nice redirect from Richie. Yep. Um Stetcher had a good weekend. And and by and large, I think he's been a pretty decent fit. Like I still think he gets caught in his own zone and spends too much time. The third pairing at times can spend a little bit too much time chasing in their own end. I found of the last little bit and and I still think the defensive side there there are times when he can find himself swimming a little bit. But by and large, he's done a nice... When you're a third-pairing defenseman, you're going to have some flaws in your game. And knowing without Tanev right now, and knowing that they have... With, with Stone out, they needed somebody to stabilize it. I'll give Stetcher credit. He's he's done a nice job of, of stepping in and giving them minutes that they weren't comfortable giving out on an everyday basis. And while it's not perfect every night, I appreciate the way the dude always competes how much how how much of a perfectionist he is and how much he cares take the on ice away from it and i think there probably has been more good than bad with with what in fact i think you can uh, that's almost inarguable there's been more good yes. than bad that with with stetcher out there um i also think he's brought a little bit of edge inside that room that dude cares i think they you can never have enough of that and so i think he's been a I think he's been a solid addition to this group. He's been a little bit of a bulldog, and you mentioned there are some defensive awareness lapses, and there he competes and he'll battle, but he is limited by his size. I'm going to say this to no disrespect to Nick Ritchie's four goals and five points in 12 games. Troy Stetcher was the key to that deal with the Arizona Coyotes to stabilize Calgary's blue line. You had a lot of uncertainty. Um, you were looking to bolster your depth. Then you lose you lose Tanev, and suddenly you've got Troy Stetcher coming in and I mean, he's he's a bottom-pairing defenseman. There's a reason he's a bottom-pairing defenseman, but he's giving the Calgary Flames depth. He's giving them quality minutes, and he's providing them a little bit of punch when they need it. So all in all, it's tough to argue what Troy Stetcher has brought to the Calgary Flames since coming over. Stepped in, moved to his offside on Sunday. I thought Michael he looked better Stones on his return. offside, to be quite honest. I'm, I'm curious how they play this here because... Chris Tanev has started skating again, yep. and so I think he's got two skates under his belt. He is yet to return to practice. We'll see if he takes morning skate. Flames didn't practice on Monday like they were scheduled to. They changed it to an off day, which you can understand. Rest, energy levels, just Three as and important four. these days as, as being on the ice and practicing, if not more important. So we'll see if Tanev takes morning skate Tuesday before the Chicago game. Um, I don't know how close he is, but I do know he's resumed skating, so that's good news. It's better than him not skating. Uh, but let's say Tanev does return at some point between now and next Wednesday when the regular season begins. What do you do? Um, do you go Tanev back? Like, obviously, Tanev back into the top four. You probably put Uyghur Anderson back together, yep. Hannafin Tanev back together, so then who does Adorov play with? Does he play with Stetcher? Does he play with Stone? Do you rotate those two guys depending on matchup? I, I'm really curious what they do once Tanev returns because give Michael Stone credit like he does. He misses 20 games and a month and a half steps back in and gives you 13 good minutes and, oh, just happens to score the game-winning goal as well. Doesn't that just seem like death taxes, Michael Stone returning to the lineup after a long absence and then just blasting one in the back of the net? Like, 
thinking back to the playoffs last year, thinking back to other times last season, just feels like he just steps back in. There he is, steady, dependable. To answer your question, though, I'm going to go Zadorov Stetcher as my bottom okay. pair. And then you evaluate on a game-by-game basis. And you again, you mentioned it. You, maybe you take a peek at the matchup and what you have. And if you're trying to bring in a more sizable, physical, defensive element, then maybe you lean stone. If you're looking for puck-moving pace, maybe a little bit of an offensive jolt from the blue line, maybe you go Stetcher. But for me, right now, my third pairing would be Zadorov Stetcher. I think I would go matchup dependent, okay. and I would think I would go, what have you done for me lately? Because I think that's a good way to go about it. Competition. Exactly. So if if you go Stetcher one night and he plays well, you keep him in. Um, and if you feel like, yeah, a bit of an off night, put Stone in because then you're injecting energy. Both guys have played with Sidorov, so I don't think there's a ton of adjustment there. Uh, I'm I'm really curious how they do it, but that's how I would do it. I'd kind of go on a on a rotating basis. Um, before we get back to the text line, the only thing I, I don't know, I don't want to say I'm worried about it, but reason you, to pause. You have got to make sure that you are properly focused for Tuesday night. I know Winnipeg is looming. I know that's on Wednesday. We all know how important that is. We all know how bad Chicago is. They've traded away everybody. They're trying to get Connor Bedard. I get it. They cannot have the same type of effort they had against Anaheim because if you do that, you put yourself in a spot where you maybe gave up a point or two. You can't get anything but two points against Chicago on Tuesday. Then you'll be in the best possible position, which is tied with Winnipeg with one more games played, so still on the outside looking in. You cannot look past Chicago. Part of me worries about it, not because of this Flames team, but just because... NHL hockey is still played by human beings and human beings can sometimes look past games. Now these guys are mentally strong and, and very, very focused individuals right now. So I don't know if I'm super, super worried about it, but I just know you cannot let that happen on Tuesday against the Hawks. I'm going to go point counterpoint point. Chicago has lost eight straight and sit at the bottom of the West. Counterpoint, you've only taken one of four points against them this year. Correct. So I feel like the one of four points probably sticks more than the fact that they are not a great team that has not won in, or has won two wins in their last 10, had back-to-back wins at that, but they haven't won in eight straight and they're one of the worst teams in the league. But you still only taken, you've lost two of the first two games of the season against them in the three-game series. One went to overtime. That's got to stick. That's got to stick. So I don't know if you're looking past Winnipeg or past Chicago yeah. to Winnipeg when the team you're playing, you haven't played particularly well against them this year. I, I just know they can't. I don't even necessarily think they will. I just know they can't. You're not wrong. A few more texts from Ian. Uh, born and raised Calgarian, now living in Toronto. There's not nothing to not be optimistic <laughs> about. Take down Chicago on Tuesday, and you have a chance to erase all the BS about this season. Put your heart on the line against the Jets, and they've got this. Uh, (laughs) How about this? Very next text. Flames have zero chance of making it. They looked horrible on Sunday night. Uh, This, the Flames are coming in hot. They're going to make it. I'm honestly going text by text. I'm not selectively choosing these. Uh, This from Kevin. The Calgary Flames model is just good enough to break your heart year after year. They won't get in. Uh, This says they have to win out, and if they do, they'll get in. Uh, This says it's simple. If they beat the Jets in regulation, then it's a race for most points from the other games. 
Dominic says, boys, I don't care if they make the playoffs, but at least the last two games have been watchable and entertaining. Thank goodness it was pitiful for quite some time. This reads, it's all over, boys. This says, what about Nashville? Yeah, Nashville is still in the mix. I'm not writing them off because they keep finding ways to hang around and stick around. Although Money Puck, who's usually optimistic, has them down to 3%, which yeah. I find a little low. Usually I find they're inflated a bit. I think, the reverse here. but you know, what I like about Money Puck is that they take into account injuries. They take into account underlying numbers. They yep. take into account schedule. Like They, they, they take <laughs> so into account a lot. So you're saying they're taking into account the uh, 12 forwards Nashville is going to ice for much of the rest of the That's season. That's correct. Fair enough. I think uh, Flip Svengingsen is playing. That's just a game we that play I made like up a, right now. Some sort of game where you have to name the top 12 forwards currently in the lineup for hey, the Nashville watch Predators? Hey, watch out for Wink Yahoo. He is, uh, he is going to play second line right wing tonight for the Nashville I'm not even sure if you're messing with me or not at this point. I mean, there's no player named Wink Yahoo in the league. Mark Jankowski is playing fourth line yes, center, though. Yes, he sure is. There you go. Wink I'm up one nothing. Does anybody... Do you, you don't get the Wink Yahoo reference? No. That is a throwback old school YTV uh, reference. I believe the game show... He's a character actor... And he played the host of game show called Uh-Oh, and his name was Wink Yahoo. Anybody remembers that on the text line? I give you a salute. Uh, this reads from Meyer. If the Flames can block the first shot each game, then they'll get in. This from Dan and Cochran. The Flames elimination number is eight points, I believe, with a combined nine games, including the four-pointer between the two. I'm at 35% Flames get in based on those numbers. Uh, this says, have the Flames not played okay this year? Their biggest issue has been their save percentage. Um, how does this get you into the playoffs? It's not all Markstrom. It's not all the goalies. The shots they're allowing are hard, high danger. What's your save percentage on high danger chances versus the rest of the league? Uh, I don't have that right in front of me, but it uh, has not been near the top. I know that. Uh, I would be optimistic if Winnipeg didn't come out and play two statement games. Uh, can be good, but if they stay hot, it's pretty tough. Uh, this and that's uh, that's all of our texts at nine sixty nine sixty. Just want to see if anybody. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay. You got one. Thank you. Just want to make sure. Little uh oh, which I don't remember. I'm at ninety. I'm a ninety two baby, so of course I remember. Uh oh. Thank you very much to six three three four on the text line. Uh, it's Pat and Aaron coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios this hour on Flames Talk. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Monday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, where they appreciate you for trusting them with your vehicle. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Pat Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Monday Roundtable. Okay, boys, so the Flames beat Anaheim 5-4. 
They come from behind to beat the Ducks, and they do so with Dan Vladar playing the final 40 minutes. Jacob Markstrom starts, gets pulled after 20, after allowing two on nine. Vladar comes in from there on out. He picks up the victory. They've got Chicago on Tuesday, Winnipeg on Wednesday. We know how important both these games are. How would you handle goaltending for the Flames in these next two games? Well, I got to preface my answer by saying I would still lean heavily on Jacob Markstrom down the stretch. But after we talked about it on the Flamestock post game show on Sunday night, and after I thought more about it, I actually think the right thing to do, probably both short term and long term, is to go back to Dan Vladar uh, against the Blackhawks on Tuesday night. Uh, here's why. Uh, at first, I thought. Well, you gave Jacob Markstrom the final 40 minutes off on Sunday night in that uh, come-from-behind victory over the Ducks. But the last time he was fighting it a little bit, I'm convinced fatigue was a factor. That's when he had started 10 straight and played in 12 straight and found a way to help the Flames win that game against the Stars. But uh, then, uh, obviously, didn't play very well in the first uh, 40 minutes against the Kings, but got a little bit of time off and uh, I thought bounced back beautifully. So... Uh, give him a little bit of a break here. He's played a lot of hockey of late. Uh, there's been a lot of pressure on him because, you know, every goal against, every goal for has just meant so much for this team as they try to fight back into a playoff position. So you go to Dan Vladar, and I think it does a couple of things. It gives uh, Jacob Markstrom a bit of a mental and physical break, but also sends a message to the skaters, the 18 skaters that will be playing in front of whatever goaltender against the Blackhawks on Tuesday night that, they have to be a little bit better because it's their number two guy, not their number one guy. And the way I see it, if the Flames play the right way in front of either goaltender, they should beat the Blackhawks. So if you rest up Jacob Markstrom and then go to him against the Jets for the biggest game of the season for both teams on Wednesday night, and he feels 100% or somewhere close to 100% going into that game, I think that gives you the best chance to beat the Jets. And again, if Dan Vladar plays a good game against the Blackhawks, that should be good enough for the Flames on Tuesday night. Yeah, heading into Sunday's game against the Anaheim Ducks, I kind of had it penciled as Markstrom against Anaheim, Vladar against Chicago, then back to Markstrom for the second of back-to-back games in Winnipeg. That doesn't change for me, regardless of what happened against the Anaheim Ducks. Again, Jacob Markstrom pulled after allowing two goals on nine shots in the first. Dan Vladar carries the load the rest of the way. And I can just see that parlaying into a start against the Chicago Blackhawks. As you mentioned, Wilsey, it gives five periods to Jacob Markstrom to decompress both physically and mentally before heading into that critical game at Winnipeg. I don't think there's really necessarily a big desire, at least from from my perspective, to see Jacob Markstrom go back-to-back first Tuesday at home against Chicago and then Wednesday at Winnipeg. I don't like the back-to-back set. I don't like the fact that there's travel involved as well. And then just mix in. It just happens to be the biggest game of the season without cliche or hyperbole. There's no doubting that it's the biggest game of the season. And just looking and I pulled this manually. So if I'm missing a set, please correct me. But Jacob Markstrom has gone back to back twice this season. Three of those four games, he's at a sub 900 save percentage. Just so happens the other one was that 40 save shutout against Minnesota. Having said that still, I don't know if I'm necessarily in love going back to back with the second one being the most important game of the season. So I go Vladar against Chicago. Markstrom back in Winnipeg. Yeah, my uh, my feel going into the the game against Anaheim. So after the comeback win Friday over Vancouver, 
was doing our Flames Talk post game and, and got a lot of questions about how you do it. And I said to myself, okay, my, my feel on Friday's post game was Markstrom Anaheim, Vladar Chicago, Markstrom Winnipeg, because you've got to do everything in your power to make sure that there is zero fatigue, no chance of fatigue. And, and you've got to have them as fresh, Jacob, as fresh as possible yeah. for the game that, that could very well define the season for the Flames. So I still believe that. And even though he got the two periods to sit against Anaheim on Sunday night, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, join the chorus. I think you still have to go to Vladar. I think you want to. I, I don't I don't even think you want to put yourself in the situation where you can say, well, it was a back-to-back. Was he tied? Like, eliminate any of that doubt. Vladar, to, to your point, Wilsey, Vladar is more than capable of winning hockey games. And Vladar is more than capable of giving them the type of goaltending they need. In fact, when he's been the number two guy, he's done that on a far more often basis than not. Like, he's done it far more often than not. So... Why wouldn't you? Like, you trust Dan Vladar at this point. There's no reason not to trust him. And whether it's game 78 or not, you still need to make sure that you're putting your best lineup possible on the ice against Winnipeg on Wednesday. And that's not to suggest that you're not putting your best lineup uh, against Chicago. You're not doing that. But I think to maximize these two games, you've got to split the goaltenders. And if it was another guy... If this was a year where backup goaltending, they weren't winning games or the team didn't play very well in front of the backup, it's a different story. If this was Curtis McElhaney and Mika Kippersoff, well, of course, I'm going Mika in both games. But with Jacob looking like there's a little bit of fatigue in there and knowing that Vladar is more than capable of winning games, yeah, I go Vladar against the Hawks and I go Markstrom against the Jets and then I probably go Markstrom the rest of the way until the season and your fate is uh, is determined. What if it was Brent Cron? Well, I'm starting Cron in every game then. There's no <laughs> Not question. worried about fatigue? There's no question. No, no, that man is a well, well-conditioned, finely-tuned athlete. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, guys. If the Flames play the right way in front of either goaltender tomorrow night, Tuesday night, then they should beat the Blackhawks. The yeah. Blackhawks are very much in the running. As a matter of fact, I believe they're still uh, the front runners they uh, are. in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. So just play a good game in front of either goaltender. If it was me, and, and I have flip-flopped uh, since we talked about it and since I thought about it, uh, I do think going to Dan Vladar is the right way to go. And it might be a blessing in disguise that the Flames felt like they had to make the goaltending change following the first period on Sunday night because Dan Vladar has not played a lot of hockey. They've really leaned heavily on Jacob Markstrom. I don't have it in front of me, but I think Vladar has played in four of the last 17 games and has only started and finished one of those games. So getting him a little bit of work on Sunday night was probably a good thing for him and uh, I think probably has to make the team feel more comfortable uh, going to him uh, against the Blackhawks on Tuesday night. And then, of course, you give Jacob Arkstrom the start in the biggest game of the season on Wednesday night against the Jets. Uh, I'm guessing that's how it's going to go. That's what I would do, again, after giving it lots of thought. Uh, so we'll see what uh, Daryl Sutter decides to do. Yeah, if you can't trust your backup goalie to play the 32nd team in the NHL in the first half of a back-to-back with travel, then he's probably not seeing much ice time from here on out. And uh, to Pat's point, it does set up Jacob Markstrom the rest of the way because the Flames have two days off between playing at Winnipeg and playing at Vancouver, and then they come back home for two games in four nights. So you can really just ride Markstrom the rest of the way under this formula. And quickly, just one other item, a little bit more food for thought. Talking to some players and to some staff 
who made that trip to and from Vancouver, they were all gassed on Saturday morning. So that makes me wonder if fatigue was a factor for the team in the first period against the Ducks on Sunday night, and uh, if that was a factor for the goaltender in the first period as well. He just didn't look as sharp to me. His rebound control wasn't as good. Now that second shot gets through him. I think that's a save that he makes if he's stealing 100%. So I do think that uh, mm-hmm. him being a little bit tired probably factored into him giving up uh, a goal on the first shot, a couple of goals in the first period. But, uh, hey, he's bailed the team out a lot of late, and they bailed him out last night. So it all worked out for the for the right way for the Flames last night. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Aaron, Pat on a Monday. Guys, just wanted to expand it a little bit big picture here. Blake Coleman very quietly, we've talked a lot about Tyler Toffoli and his career highs and good on him. We've talked a lot about Dylan Dubé and his career season and good on him. Uh, Zadorov uh, continues to put up new career high totals and goals. He scored a big one against the, the Ducks. But Blake Coleman, with his assist on Milan Lucic's game-tying goal in the third period, established a new high for points in a single season. He already had established a new career high for assists. He's now up to 37, which betters his total from 2018-19 in New Jersey when he had 36 points that year. Now almost two full seasons into his Calgary Flames career, a big-time unrestricted free agent signing going into last year. How, How do we evaluate what Blake Coleman has been as a member of the Flames? I think he's been a great fit, and I know last night wasn't his best night. Sunday night wasn't his best night, but he has been incredibly consistent through his first two seasons, and I can't remember who made this comparison, but I think it's a really good one, so I'm going to steal it. Reminds me a little bit of the Michael Froelich signing. You bring in a guy... I think that was me. I think that was Patrick. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, You bring in a guy who isn't a a first-line player, but is a middle-six guy who is consistent, who has won a Stanley Cup, and in Blake Coleman's case has won two Stanley Cups, and you just ask him to play that role. And when you think about the role that he played in winning back-to-back Stanley Cups with the Lightning, he was a winger on what was probably the best third line in the league. So right now he's playing in the middle six. Uh, not, not sure how you would number the lines. If it would be the, the cadre line two and the back one line three, I would probably actually swap them uh, at this point in time. So let's say he's playing in the right side of the Flames' second line. I think he's done an excellent job. He's really good without the puck. Uh, he's done some good things with the puck, as you pointed out, Pat, uh, establishing a new career high for points in a season. He's been fantastic playing alongside of you know, Michael Backlund. And we probably spend too much time talking about line combinations and not enough time talking about duos because that's uh, what a lot of coaches like to find. They like to find two guys who play really well together. And then if you can find a third guy to fit in there mm-hmm. and, and use that third guy on a consistent basis, great. But if you feel like you have to change things up, then you leave the duo of Backlund and Coleman together and you change the left winger on that line so his versatility has been really important for the Flames and uh, he's a culture setter for me and I talked about him winning back-to-back Stanley Cups and being a really important role player for those Lightning teams I think he's one of those guys who the Flames have tried to build their culture around because he takes great care of himself off the ice he's always prepared to play he's very consistent on the ice and he knows what it takes to win. And I just think that's so important when you're a team that's trying to take that next step and become a perennial playoff team and then a Stanley Cup contender. And the Flames are somewhere in the process of of doing those things right now. And he's just been a great fit for this team. And his contract, I think, is fair for both the team and for the player, which uh, probably makes both sides feel good. And he's just been uh, a great player for this team, both on the ice and off the ice. And 
Uh, he's done a great job with us as well. Uh, you know, he'll answer the easy questions, but he'll answer the, the hard ones too. And uh, it's good to have those types of guys around for us. It's the power of the pickle juice. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> for me, he comes exactly as advertised, exactly You've gotten exactly what you've wanted out of him in signing him to that contract. For me, he was always going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 goals and 15 to 20 assists, somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 points. And he does have his career high and he's still got a little bit of time to build on that. But he's at 37 points, 18 goals, 19 assists. To me, he's sort of a a, a band-aid winger, if you will, where you can kind of almost play him with anyone and he's able to adapt to whatever's surrounding or whatever you're asking of him to do. He's a veteran. He's got experience. He's got the cups. He's crucial to your penalty kills, so he can touch special teams a little bit like that. To me, he's just been everything you've wanted out of him in signing him. The Michael yep. Froley comparison is very fair, very apt to, in my opinion. So tip of the hat to Pat Steinberg, who came up with it. I just think that it's hard to be disappointed in what he's given you on the ice and certainly off the ice because he is one of those leaders in the room. As you mentioned, Wills, he is the guy that will answer easy questions, but he'll also answer the tough questions and he'll come out after a loss and tell it as it is. And he doesn't sugarcoat and he doesn't dance around. And he's very direct. I think he's a very valuable member in that room and on the ice. Yeah. I mean, I think absolutely. He is one of the guys that is a, a real culture setter in that room. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Just the way he carries himself, the way he handles himself. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think that there's uh, just a lot of I don't think he has to say much. I just think there's a lot of built-in respect when when that guy says something. So I put the, the term that you use, Vix, is exactly how I look at it, as advertised. They brought, and the, the Michael Froelich comparison is so apt for me, guys, because they signed Michael Froelich. Brad signed Michael Froelich for one reason, to come in, most likely be a right-wing tandem mate to, for Michael Backlund, give them a solid two-way winger that you can trust in every situation and that you're going to get great defensive minutes from. And that's essentially, and, and some secondary scoring as well, kind of that 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 next level of scoring. And Froelich nailed that in his entire tenure with the Flames before the trade to Buffalo. And I think Blake Coleman was signed for almost the exact same reasons. Yep. Um, much like Froelich, cup winner, comes in, you want him to be a guy that can give you some right-wing depth, two-way play that you can play in every situation and give you some secondary scoring, and it is green check mark on every single one of those things as well. I would put Coleman in... There's there's kind of a list of, over the last, I don't know, we're almost a decade into Tree's time here, some of the UFAs that have just been absolute home runs. Coleman, Froelich, Tanev, um, I think Derek Ryan, those would be the ones that I would say have been absolute hits for what they were brought in for and what they brought to this team as advertised as advertised rather that's been what Blake Coleman's been and maybe he'll even maybe even a little bit better based on the fact that here he is at the age of 30 31 and he's just put up a career total in points so good on him yeah and there's five games to go and he's still got a chance to get to 20 goals for the third time in his NHL career and you know he's a guy who tends to play his best hockey in big games and in big moments, he's been really good for the team. And you know, I would say one of Brad Treleving's best free agent signings in his nine years as the general manager of the Flames. And uh, I think the Michael Foley comparison is a fantastic one for uh, a number of different reasons. And, you know, we've talked a lot about all of the players who had career years for the Flames or for other teams last year that aren't having career years this year. And that happens. 
you know, sometimes a career year is uh, called that uh, because you only have one of them in your career. Now, I do think a bunch of guys uh, who have fallen off offensively this season will likely bounce back next season, uh, especially the guys who are playing for a new team. And it needs uh, some more time to get acclimated uh, to a bunch of different things. But uh, we probably haven't talked enough about some Flames players who are having career years and uh, helping make up for the fact that uh, some guys who they – uh, we're counting on to produce more uh, that haven't. Well, the guys who we weren't counting on to have career years, like Blake Coleman, like Tyler Toffoli, they've helped uh, the Flames get in the position that they're in, and that's uh, with a chance to get to the playoffs with five games to go. So yeah, tip of the cap to Blake Coleman, uh, great off the ice, great on the ice, and uh, it's been a career year, which uh, uh, he's worked hard off the ice and on the ice to make that happen, and uh, he deserves it. Thank you, Wilsey. Okay, we'll see you guys tomorrow. That is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That is your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you, as always, by our friends at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, where they appreciate you for trusting them with your vehicle, Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Just minutes from the Calgary Airport.